Hello and welcome to Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine's World Cup special podcast series. Throughout the World Cup, we're going to be bringing you guests talking about the World Cup, the matches that they've seen. We're going to be chatting to coaches. We're going to be chatting to players at a grassroots level to see how inspired they're feeling about all the World Cup events. It's all going to be right here on Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine's special World Cup podcast series. This week, I'm joined by my pod secretary, Eamon Hogan. We're going to be chatting about the World Cup and its coaching internship programme and what that could mean for female coaches worldwide. And I'm also going to be chatting to the ever-excitable and New Zealand rugby activist and all-round just general awesome person, Alice Soper. Hi, Alice. Uh, welcome to the pod. How are you? Oh, good, thanks, mate. Just waking up, having some coffee, trying to figure out time zones, but otherwise getting excited because the World Cup's almost here. I know. So you, you guys are the host nation. What's, what's it feel like? Is there, is there a buzz about the place? What's, what's happening? I'm going to have to be honest with you, mate. So I live down in Wellington. And so I am currently experiencing the same FOMO that everyone else is um, because the, uh, the tournament is primarily taking place in Auckland, um, but also in Northlands. So that's about, people think New Zealand's a small place because of our small population, but that's about an eight-hour drive to Auckland from where I live, um, probably about 10 hours to get up to Whangarei, um, which I'm not going to be doing this weekend, but I will next weekend. I am going to be there, though, but just flying in for a whistle-stop tour. Um, so I am, like I say, just as eager as everyone else to get up there and see it because, man, people seem to be having too much fun without me. Is it is it all on the TV and radio? Is there like a big a big push over there? Because suddenly I feel like it's hit all of my social media, and and obviously we just had the Red Roses documentary on the on the TV in the UK. What's what's it like on on kind of TV and social media for you down there? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I was um, commenting yesterday that it feels like I'm in a parallel universe at the moment because like women's rugby is occupying space in the way that I imagine men's sport does all the time. I'm like, is this what it's like to be a men's fan? You don't even have to look for content. It's just provided to you. Uh, it's ads, it's podcasts, it's uh, various interviews. No, I tend to um, keep, I guess, a finger on how um, busy things are by how many random requests I'm getting. So I think um, I think you'll maybe the fourth chat I've had this week, uh, which is beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, and I've got another one following you and another one tomorrow. So yeah, people are getting a bit busy, uh, which is choice. I think the main thing that people are getting excited about is just how many people are, uh, seem to be planning to turn up um, on Saturday. This is going to be a record-breaking crowd in New Zealand, not just for rugby, but for women's sport full stop. And that's something that's really awesome. So talk us through that through that opening opening day. I think we're set to there's like a record breaking ticket sales of over thirty thousand, was it so far sold? Yes. Yeah, so what, what do you know about it? So we're up over 35 now pre-sale, which is whoa, whoa. So we added since um since you got your numbers. And so that looks apparently like it's trending to a sellout, which is going to be rad. Um, I have had the pleasure of playing at Eden Park a couple of times, and I can tell you that is a fairly miserable place to be if it's not uh, fully packed out. So I had been, and I'm going to be honest with you, I was a doubting Thomas. I had been um, anxious about whether people would be turning up, particularly just for that first weekend. Um, but they've done a fantastic job. It's um, a real buzz. I'm just so looking forward to um, the opportunity to be around so many other people that are there to watch women on purpose. 
you know, not this curtain raiser thing where we're like, oh, sorry, I'm actually here to watch the boys after. What are you doing here? Um, so it's very exciting. I think there's going to be a couple of key things, obviously. Um, one is we're going to see the French and see what version of their team they're going to um, play first up. Like, who's going to play first five? Or in your case, what do you call it? Fly half. Who's going to play number 10? Um, that's going to be the, the big question for me in that first game. Then the second one, we're obviously making history again um, because we've got Fijiana uh, playing their first ever World Cup match. And you should expect to see a lot of sky blue in the stands. The Fijian fans are awesome. They'll turn out a village to get in behind their, their girls. So that's going to be really cool. Um, and then, of course, the, the big one, well, it's one we've seen here quite a bit, uh, which is New Zealand and Australia. It'll be an interesting one. I think we'd want to see New Zealand putting at least 30-plus points on Australia if we know we're looking good um, for the rest of the tournament. And and obviously, it's 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 rude of me not, not to ask how you're feeling as a Black Ferns fan. Obviously, it's not the greatest build-up to this, but then they sort of realised they needed to put better things in place, better systems... How how are you feeling about how it's been potentially resolved or, or working through up until now? Oh, yeah. So, look, I think um, <laughs> that's going to be a much bigger thing to look to turn around because we're talking about, you know, uh, colonial, patriarchal, <laughs> um, like capitalist structures and redoing that. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm just outing myself as a raging lefty. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you're looking at having to, you know, unpack a lot of those things. And this is also just, a, I think, an issue you have across women's sports which is a lot of our governing bodies were never actually established to support our participation and actually our history is often one of exclusion so it takes a lot to turn that around um am i pleased at where we are now absolutely i think we would have been in a much different place we would have had a much different lineup if we had um, had the interventions that we did obviously when there's concerns around mental health, when there's concerns around racism and body shaming, this is stuff you have to take seriously. Uh, and, and we are spoiled uh, here that, you know, our SOS call can go out to someone like Wayne Smith. Um, but so that's really been a big shift. It's been very cool to see also a number of, you know, big prior all black names getting in and around the team as well. You know, Dan Carter in there a lot. Um, I was like, what is this guy up to? I don't even know he was in the country. I thought he was still in France or something. Um, but here he is, not just um, promoing Chemist Warehouse, he's also promoing the Black Ferns and getting in there and helping with kicking duty. So good on you, Dan. Um, so that's been very cool. And I think it's exciting. Like I, I looking at that firepower we now have in that back line, it's going to light things up. The question is whether that, um, that relatively new Type five is going to be able to build the platform. That's the question mark for us. So in terms of the Black Ferns, if, if we're speaking as, to somebody who hasn't watched a lot of, of women's rugby and, and doesn't know that much about a team outside of the Red Roses, who are the, who are the characters? Who are the ones, ones to watch in the Black Ferns squad? Well, you've got probably one of the most famous rugby players in the world. Um, and I say that and you're thinking in your head, is that Portia Woodman or Ruby Tui? So we've actually got two. Oh, yeah. 
So obviously we we have a lot of um I think there's a there's a handful of our sevens girls that have come across as well for that um, World Cup. So people that you might have seen at the Olympics, so Ruby Tui, Portia Woodman, Teresa Fitzpatrick, Stacey Flula, um, Sarah Hidani, uh, have all jumped in um, the waka to help us out with this campaign, which is choice. Um, but there's also you know um, the likes of. Uh, Oh, Kendra Coxedge, for goodness sake. Uh, the, a, a funny stat with her is that I think we've played, the Black Ferns have played more games with her than without uh, because we have a history of pretty low um, test matches between uh, between World Cups. So, yeah, bit of a, a bit of a pack there to, to look forward to. I am forever on the hype uh, train of my two Wellington players, of course, which is uh, Aisha Letziainga, who is just an absolute pocket rocket. I... Kind of find it bizarre when you think about it because she's been such a dominant force. She's a winger for New Zealand. You will remember her from the Northern Tour as the one that was running through the uh, Red Roses and getting no scratches. Um, and she is a um, absolute force, but she's so young. I was thinking she must have been at 2017, but she's just played all of her rugby between these World Cups. So this is her first one. And that's going to be exciting to see her express herself. Um, so you've got her there. And then my other Wellington mate, of course, is uh, Jonah Nangwu, who is an absolute unit in that that, that uh, type five. She is a lock. She is really exciting. Um, she loves to run with the ball. Uh, she's physical. She's niggly. She's everything I want her to be in type five. So I always say, you can have Portia. I'll have Jo. Um, she's my number one. Awesome. And then obviously... You guys are hosting now. We're we're due to host in in twenty twenty five. What do you think the impact will be? Because you'll be able to see the impact, obviously, in the next couple of years on on women's rugby, and hopefully increasing not just the amount of players, but the amount of of female coaches and referees. What what do you hope will happen, and what do you think will happen? Yeah, so I think that um, I was you've set me up well, just because I just wrote a um, a column about this yesterday when I was having to write like a prediction one because I had to file for something that's coming out on Sunday. But uh, thinking about the legacy which is going to be on this um on this World Cup, and I think it it's kind of the two things. This is the end of amateurism for women's rugby, right? Like we've already seen that in terms of England blinked first, and that's how they've got their favourites titles in terms of making their programme more professional. But now you've got New Zealand, Italy, Ireland, um, who have all also jumped on board and made their teams professional. Um, so that's a big shift. And I think when we come around to the next World Cup, who won't be paid, right, within that? So I think that that is a, a game changer um, because it's also that commitment between World Cups, right? And we're seeing that starting from the top. And that's, you know, this new competition that World Rugby is introducing next year, the WXB. And I cannot think we can understate, like, what an impact that's going to have, particularly on my region here with my Pacific neighbours. And that's what I'm most excited about in terms of the long-term legacy, is uh, knowing what a, what a shift that's going to offer us here. I know that Samoa and Tonga will be watching Fijiana in this um, tournament and will be gutted they weren't there. Look, Samoa, very unlucky not to have a chance at taking Scotland's spot. I know they were ready and up for that um, final qualifier, but COVID meant that they couldn't uh, couldn't get out of the country and get back um, safely. So they missed out on that opportunity, but they have a plan to make sure that they're there in 2025. So you're going to see the rise of Pacific rugby out of this. And that's something that's really exciting. You've already seen, you know, 
little ripples starting to happen here in our domestic league. We had the Oceania Cup um, at the beginning of the year, just before uh, the Fire Palmer Cup, which is our um, provincial league started up and there were at least four girls that played for the Manusina who then ended up playing for Tasman. Tasman's a little province here in um, New Zealand. They have been kicked around a bit. They won their first two games back to back, you know, first time they've ever done that in that competition. And that's a big part because of that quality talent, uh, Pacific sisters who are there lifting up that standard. So it's exciting also for a lot of young women that are currently in pathways here in New Zealand who it might not be a black jersey that they wear, but they have every ability to represent on the world stage. And so to have different options, that's great. With different teams, obviously, also brings different opportunities for wider teams around them, right? Um, we've seen that already develop here between year one and year two of Super Rugby Opiki. Uh, that's our new, you know, kind of like Premier 15s, I guess, in terms of where you're pitching it. There were a lot of quite rightly, um, criticism that was thrown at those teams last year because there weren't any women that were in head coaches' roles. Well, we've had a 50% increase for season two. Crystal Kowa and um, Tors Grant, who are both uh, who are taking on Chiefs Manawa and my Hurricanes Kowa, so I'm excited about that. Um, and so you're seeing that happen. It's not just the coaches, though, right? It's the whole ecosystem around them. It's managers, it's administrators, it's referees, it's all of that good stuff. The more we have women playing our game, the more opportunity there are for all of those people around it that make a team work. It's not just the people on the field that make a game happen. So the more games we get, the more opportunity we have um, to get people stuck into our game. And that's what I'm excited about. Awesome. I just got a, a couple more questions for you. Uh, yeah. Although that makes me really excited for, for 2025 because um, you, you may not be aware, but the RFU is really pushing here to have the, the growth of, of female coaches and referees. So um, about, I think about once a week, kind of every female who's registered on the RFU, like central database stuff, gets an email about attending a referee course or an intro to coaching course or something like that. So they're really trying to like book up the numbers and, and start the process early, which is exciting. Um, I always wonder, worry about, what kind of systems we have in place once the women have been on those intro courses or once they've got yeah. there to what support we have after that. And I um, am a fierce advocate of the fact that that support system needs to be better because um, yeah. we're just sort of stranding them without a support system or they'll, they'll finish a course and it might be very female friendly, but then they're off into a next course and they might be the only female in the room. Um, yeah. So positives, but there's, there's still definite room for improvements Going back to the the World Cup that you guys are hosting now, if there's a game that hasn't got the Black Ferns in it that you're most excited about, what what is it? The ones this weekend that I'm most looking forward to are happening actually on day two. I think there's been a lot of hype around day one, but day two is the one that everyone's sleeping on and I'm more excited about. Firstly, because putting my hand up, I didn't know who Rita Aura was. And is that because I'm in my 30s? Maybe. Okay? I'm sorry. That's so bad. I don't want to shame her. I, I, I'm in my 30s. I know who Rita Ora is. You need to I don't know who she was. I don't listen to the radio, though, right? Like, Spotify gives me things, and it's their fault that they're, they're giving me Georgia Smith and Rada and Lene and not giving me Rita Ora, okay? So my point being is that day two, Lady Six is playing. Now, you probably don't know who Lady Six I is, but is. I do. Yeah, no, so Lady Six is rad, man. She's a um, local artist um, from here in New Zealand. Very cool. So I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. I'm pumped about her being the act there. But also, um, all three of those games are going to be crackers because you've got first up um, 
Italy, USA. Now, normally you'd be like, okay, this will be USA, but Italy far out. How Italian are those lot being? Like, it's just, you don't know. They beat France, for goodness sake. So you don't know what they're going to be. And so that's going to be a really exciting one to watch. Then the second game is just exciting uh, because, particularly because of what's going to be happening in the coaching box. So you've got Japan playing Canada. Now, Japan is coached by the only woman um, head coach at the tournament, but she used to play hooker for Canada. And she's been to World Cups in the front row for Canada. So that's going to be a personal one for Liz. Like she's going to be, she's going to be feeling that for real. So it's going to be very interesting. That's a, that's yes, it's the um, the Blossoms game, but it's also her one. She'll be determined to make a statement with that. Um, and then of course the last game of the round is uh, Wales and Scotland. Well, that's a famous rivalry, and is going to probably be the difference, right? in terms of who has the best shot at, at, at pushing through. So it's going to be a big game, and that's an exciting thing um, to watch too. Um, looking forward, I know the fact that we have a, a, a Le Crunch, I think, is it in round two, when you know the, the English and the um, French coming up against each other. That is massive, and I think will be a – that's going to be your finger in the wind on what's going to happen in this tournament, hey? Because, you know, every now and then you get that at world tournaments where you have one match in the pool play, which is your yardstick, in which you can measure all the others. Let's be honest, looking across some of the other pools, you can probably have a pretty educated guess already around one and two um, that will be going through. That one is going to be really telling us, is this English juggernaut able to be pulled down or is there weaknesses? And if there are, they will be exposed in that match. My heart rate and blood pressure just, just shot through the roof. <laughs> it just escalated. I was like, no. Oh, intense already. You are listening to a women's rugby coaching.com podcast. If you want to find out more about the only magazine written for women coaches and anyone coaching women's rugby, then go over to women's rugby coaching.com. Now back to the podcast. And just one one final question, I guess. If you could sum up what you think this World Cup is going to be like in... I was going to give you one word, but I'll give you two. <laughs> what what one or two words would you use to describe what you think it's going to be? Oh, man. Um, I would say uh, uh, this is going to be the game changer because yeah. I think this is the reset, right? Like I say, we've got the, the change around what's happening off the field around the move towards professionalism. We've got the change around what's going to be happening off field around new competitions to bridge the gap between tournaments. And then we've just got all this exciting stuff around what this will be also societally for New Zealand to be seeing our women taking centre stage for all these weeks, but also the ripple effects this has in the Pacific. I was there in Fiji in 2014 when we had, uh, I went to a local sevens tournament and I asked where the women's teams were and people laughed at me and now they're here at the World Cup. So that's a game changer, mate, and that's what's exciting. Uh, and what a thing to end on. Thank you so much, Alice. No worries, honey. <laughs> Uh, welcome to, and I, I and I don't know why this makes me giggle so much. I think it's the the gender flipping of it. Welcome to my pod secretary, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last time we did this, we made four, four people cry. If you remember, yes, we did. <laughs> we did. I mean, it was the it was the it was the final part of the uh, England twenty fourteen review with Graham and Gary, and all four right. of us were in tears. That's it right. was hugely emotional. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, it was uh, oh, it's nice to be back and nice to see that I can relax and you have to get the stress this time. <laughs> I was just sat there last time, probably just in awe of the people that I was in a digital room with, thinking, what, why am I in this room with with Graham and Gary, the people that that you know I saw on the telly and kind of kick-started the coaching stuff and and you know and having those female icons on screen being pushed by the coaches in the background made me want to go it's maybe I can dip my toe in the in the rugby coaching and water and and look where it's got me now onto this mad idea of doing a world cup pod (laughs) (laughs) no Graham and Gary I mean I'm very you know I'm I never I never played at a high level um I had opportunities but I never did due to my military career really but um I'm very honoured to know quite famous people. And um, yeah, yeah that Graham. That's a very, very subtle brag there. Very subtle brag. <laughs> well, I am very honoured. I am very honoured to know lots of famous people. Um, um, and it's not because I've done anything essentially to to, to warrant that. I, I just happen to be in the same room as them or we've had conversations and Graham and I have a great relationship. Um, Gary called me. Oh, I never told you this. Gary called me. Well, let me hear this story. It's a great story. Gary, Gary called me and said um, about six months after we finished the pod and the release, maybe even longer than that. And he said his son watched it. And, um, and, and he said, what's that signal you do? And he said, oh, that's to tell you I love you. And it's to make sure that you, you know I love you. And I went, what? He said, even in, the, so in the, even in the World Cup final, Gary did a gesture for his son to make sure that he was thinking about him. At the, at the most pressurized moment of his life. And he told his son and his son melted. And he said, he said, hey man, I had to call you and just thank you for that moment. And I went, I didn't do anything. I just recorded a podcast. And I went, wow. But I mean, Gary's such a lovely guy and he's so informed about all facets of the game. And it's just nice to have those guys, you know, to talk to and refer to. And, and obviously, you know, I can't say I'm an expert in a women's game, which is why I know you. <laughs> so, well, so here we are. We've 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 kind of reflected on one one World Cup, and now we're going to sort of live chat our way through each week yeah. through through another. Um, and it feels this one feels. I I don't know if it's because we're in it and it's now a lived moment as opposed to us chatting about our memories, but this one feels very exciting. This one feels like not that just we're on the precipice of something, but. Women's rugby, women's sport seems to be gathering momentum, and now it's a giant boulder careering down a hill, and and it's it's it feels like it's un, it's unstoppable. Does it feel like that to you as well, or is it is it just me because I'm in it? The only real shame is that it's it's that we couldn't get the games all played in the evening. I understand why because they wanted three fixtures in the same location, and um and to get the crowds up, and I I, I fully understand it, but it's a shame we can't get. 10 to 30 in the morning kickoffs because if you can imagine the rugby clubs around the country bringing girls in i mean so the only game this week that we have in the morning is uh sorry there's two games in the morning, but the, the most important was australia new zealand i mean the england game is at six in the morning and it's a real shame that's the case but that being said it's huge it, it's a huge event and it's it's hugely significant and and it's it has the well <laughs> so i was thinking about this yesterday um, I've, I'm old enough to remember all of the World Cups, um, male and female. I, I was I was born the same year of the first ever Women's World Cup, so I was born '91. That's my claim. <laughs> so I remember. So I remember setting up at five o'clock in the morning, screaming off the top of my head when 
uh, Wales kicked the penalty in 87 to finish third and beat Australia in the last minute. So that's how old I am. So I've, I've gone back a bit. This is, the, this, is, this is comparable. This World Cup, I think, is comparable to the 2007 Men's World Cup. It has one team that has been so dominant. And in 2007, it was New Zealand. They were going around the world playing their second team and still winning test matches. And it was in, and when they turned up in 2007, I thought, this is going to be great. This, this is going to be great to watch this team play. And then France turned up in Cardiff and beat them. I think, and this is a huge statement, by the way. I know I'm saying this. This is a huge statement. If England don't win this World Cup, it'll be the biggest shock in World Cup history, bar male or female. I mean that. And I've, and I've gone through all of the World Cups in my head. And usually it's the Black Ferns in England and, you know, and it's it's that France are now stepping up. And, and as Simon Middleton said in the, in the Red Roses documentary, it's a slog. It's a slog getting through these games. And England's opponents in this in these matches get to the final they're going to need two really strong uh not really two teams but two strong squads and i think they're best placed to do that i think they're a remarkably good team i think they have holes and we may come to that at some point in the future but i think as a an overall group i think they're a remarkable team i've watched the um the women's black ferns team sorry the black ferns documentary on youtube i've been watching that as well no spoilers i haven't seen it yet okay so uh, it's about new zealand that's the only spoiler so <laughs> so again very good very very good and i and i episode one is on youtube and i and i, I watched both last night actually one after the other and i went oh this is gonna be great <laughs> this is gonna be great but i think the biggest shock in World Cup history, male or female, if England don't win this World Cup. That's a brave statement. I, th I thought it was interesting because both Black Ferns and Red Roses coaches did a little sort of press interview, I think one after the other, um, a couple of days ago. And and Red Roses coaches were saying, well, no, that's, that's not true. We're going to the Black Ferns. It's on their territory. You know, they've got things to prove. And yes, we've, we've you know we've been really dominant, but we're going on their territory and, and they're a really good side. And then the Black Ferns coaches were going, no, it's all England, it's all England. And both <laughs> were trying to pile the mental pressure on each other. And yeah, it, yeah. it, you know, it was it was like in a battle of 80 minutes, you know, in front of the cameras before we'd even kicked off the very first game, yeah. which was really exciting. Yeah, to see yeah. who, was, who was trying to pile that mental pressure on, on the other team. Um I'm kind of sick of conversations and I'm not seeing a lot of them, but there's, there's odd conversations sometimes that you see that, that the red roses, you know, I think, I think mid said we're aiming to be the best sporting team ever, you know, male or female, yeah. that you can argue they're now the best rugby team ever, male or female, because they've gone 25 international matches unbeaten. So yeah. you, that you can easily make that argument. Um, but I see people going, well, they need to play better teams you know, there's no competition for them. So, of course, they're going to be the best. But what what else do you ask these women to do before they've overcome your imaginary hurdles that you keep putting in yeah. front of them? They're the best team in world rugby at the moment. Simon Middleton is, is world rugby's coach of the year. They've gone 25 matches unbeaten. So they're arguably the, you know, they're the best team in rugby. But you keep saying, oh, because their competitors haven't got the funding or or they're not the same level, that they're, they're beating whoever they can beat. 
they can't beat anybody else. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, they, that's the thing, Jess. Is that, yeah, you're right. That's it. That's it. You can only beat what's in front of you. Nobody, nobody criticized New Zealand when they won 19 test matches in a row. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, well, who have you played? You played yeah. Australia. So that, well, yeah, they're good teams, but clearly better than them. Somebody put on Twitter a couple of weeks ago the amount of international players that actually play their major rugby, their week-to-week rugby in the Allianz Prem 15s. Now, whilst that's not great for Welsh rugby or yeah. Canadian rugby, um, England is helping to lead the way. And whilst those countries work hard to develop their own leagues players international players are at least getting week to week game time in a in an international league which is great yeah um the the only criticism i i have of the allianz 15s at the moment is i wish we were doing a coaching internship like the like the rugby world cup is currently doing so right. at the moment um rugby world cup as part of its world rugby's kind of long term program there's like a women in rugby strategic program that runs from 2017 to 2025 and it's designed to kind of push and develop female leadership and develop inspirational female leadership to help them. Because if you encourage that generation, that generation will hopefully encourage the next generation and so on. It'll right. it'll become self-sustaining. They they want to, to hit a minimum target of, of 40% of all coaches at the next Rugby World Cup, so that's 2025, being women. So they want 40% of all the coaching staff to be to be women at the next World Cup. And in order to do that, they've set up like a coaching internship program. So each of the of the Rugby World Cup nations, if you're sending a team, they need to have a female coaching intern alongside running and in, in, in embedded in the team. So Amy Turner was was with the Red Roses. Um, and as already instant success of that, she slightly ended her time with the Red Roses early, although she has access to all of the online stuff that being a part of that internship program okay. gives you. She's now head coach of Quinns. Yeah. So yeah, already yeah. we're seeing the effect of that. But I, yeah. I wish we were doing something like that in this country. Imagine if you had at every Allianz Prem 15s um, team, maybe on on some kind of pay. I don't know how you would work it or where that central financing would come from. Maybe it could come from the RFU as part of their 2025 female coaching and referee development program. But imagine... Yeah even if it was for a day a week or a couple of days a week and then a match day, you embedded yeah. a female coach in each of the Allianz Prem 15s team. That could be somebody in an emerging coach to work alongside. So I'm over the border. I could quite easily hop to sale, for example, and work with Rachel Taylor. That, yeah, that isn't yeah. me putting... That's, yeah, but come on, you want to go to Tigers, don't you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's me putting my team out you. there. That's, that's, yeah. that's just saying what the possibilities are. Um, for, for the you know for the developing female coaching in this country if we look at how immediately successful this coaching internship program has and we can say that with Amy Turner going and getting yeah. that job at Quinns um, yeah, I yeah. think we should be doing it at the Allianz Prem 15s because if we can lead the way on developing players not just our own but but players from other countries coming here to play then I think we can also lead the way for coaches um, so I I think it's great. I think that's a great idea. And I, and I, strangely enough, um, I'll be utilizing that in my doctoral study because it's part of something that I'm looking at. Um, I've seen the hurdles, the major hurdles. Um, one of the major hurdles is, um, do you have to play international rugby to coach international rugby? And so I'm not, I'm not going to answer that question. 
because it's part of my doctorate. Um, <laughs> but, but, it's, but we are getting into a cycle now, and the men's are the worst exponents of it, and I don't want the women to go down the same route. I think women have an opportunity to be better than the men Agreed. with regards to this, to be the selection of coaches. They are further down, they're further back from the men with regards to professionalism in the, in the regards that um, they don't have a fully professional game at all in all teams. So now is the time to implement a positive coach education program, coach development program, and to um, have those, have many, many more of those water cooler moments where you kind of wander up, say hello to a coach, have a conversation um, in those the situations that you just talked about. Yeah. I think the biggest fear in the men, if you if, if we were to instigate that in the men's game, who do you think would get those positions? Something happens on my computer, sorry. So, I mean, who do you think would get the positions? I mean, think, I don't want you to say it, but you know in your head yeah. who would get the positions. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we're sending level three coaches on courses and having highly qualified level three and level four coaches, the mere fact that you're on a level three, regardless of whether you play at, for your case, Huddersfield, or my case, Lincoln, or whether you play for Leicester Tigers, shouldn't really make a difference. But it does. It, in it, reality. It does. It does. And, it, and it's frustrating to me. And, and I think talking about level three or level four female coaches and the barriers those coaches may face is also a separate uh, pod topic right. filled with its own socio-political right. uh, barriers that people have to Which overcome. Is <laughs> but... It, yeah it's 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 odd isn't it because coaching as a as an endeavor as a as a daily profession we can argue about professionalization of coaching but coaching as a as a job as endeavor as your day-to-day -day practice is all about people yes the, the technical and the tactical stuff you you can pick up for me if you have a natural ability to coach whatever sport then you are great with dealing with the person in front of you and understanding them correct so it, it, you know yeah. it, it shouldn't matter whatever level you've played because we know we we know because we we see it particularly in the men's game because they're they're it's high profile in the men's game that the great players don't always necessarily make great coaches yes correct i'm not disagreeing with you i don't want to say too much because i'm yeah. doing my doctorate <laughs> you know this pod isn't just like a little teaser to get people knowing about you <laughs> but no you're right you're right there, there are so i'll give you a hint there are what i'm doing there are three types of learning that i'm studying right now and one of them is unmediated learning which is the type of learning where you don't get on a coach education course how are you gonna promote unmediated learning if you don't allow people access to the highest levels of the game. Yeah. There you go. That, that's part of what I'm doing. So, and it's not, that's in essence what we're doing. And I, by the way, going back to the subject matter directly, great idea. I yeah. It's a fantastic thing. I mean, I mean, I really in, the, in the World Rugby Cup sort of little news section that they did providing updates about the coaching internship, um, Amy Turner said that she said, and I'm going to just pull a, a direct quote. Um, it's been really good to observe and be privy to some conversations that are necessary and needed within our high performance environment. Being able to observe that has definitely given me a really good, meaningful insight into what it means to be high performance and how to run a high performance environment. 
you you mm. never if if that if that door is never open to you then you will never get a high performance coaching job because you'll you know you'll never have that experience but how do you get that experience in the first place how do you yeah. take the high performance coaching experience if the door is never open to you it's it's the catch 22 i need experience where, where did, to get the job, but i need the job to get experience correct where did Simon middleton get his experience to be a head coach of england do you remember through leeds wasn't it yeah and he was the assistant coach of the england women when they won in 2014 that's right he was working with gary and graham now obviously he has his own ways of doing things and the way he wants to do it but simon was there yeah. And so Simon is going for his second gold medal. Not his first, second. <laughs> People forget that. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's a great coach and he's a good man and by all accounts. But he, uh, you know, he had a pathway and he was helped by that pathway. And, you know, Simon, by the sounds of this, isn't pulling the ladder up. And good on him for that. Yeah. Good on him.